On April 16, 2020, the Palm Beach County Medical Society held its second webinar on behavioral issues following the COVID pandemic. Dr. Brent Schillinger is the host. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the conversations on COVID. Joining me tonight again, colleague Dr. Abby Strauss. And with us is another guest, Dr. Jay Goldman. Jay, we know well as uh, one of the therapists with our Palm Beach County Medical Society Physician Wellness Program. That program is a, a program that creates safe harbors for physicians so they could obtain care, avoid burnout, achieve work-life balance, and an improved quality of life, all done in strictest confidence. And it fits very much in line with this whole COVID crisis. So for the next hour, we're going to be talking about emotional behavioral issues. We welcome your input for you to tell us how you are doing? How can our experts here tonight help you? Behavioral health and COVID, it's an issue for physicians, for all healthcare providers, and dealing with our patients, as well as in our own lives, dealing with our families. So it's a problem growing on so many levels. What can we do about this for ways to relieve what is clearly the, the biggest problem at this point, anxiety? Uh, thank you. Welcome, everybody. Anxiety, of course, is the worldwide most common mental malady. And now with the virus on us, it's a heightened problem for those who were not living with heightened anxiety. Well, they have a great deal of anxiety now because of the pandemic. For those who've had heightened anxiety, it's just twice as bad it's on several levels for everybody to get through the day. As far as I can see, the best thing to help folks right now is not psychotherapy that can take weeks or months or even longer in some cases, but to treat it almost like a crisis intervention. What can you do now, right now, so you feel better even after this conversation? By tomorrow, it's something you can apply immediately. First thing is to create a barrow reflex, B-A-R-O. You have barrow receptors. You have barrow receptors in the great vessels to the heart as well as in the heart. When you get a barrow reflex, automatically heart rate and blood pressure reduces, and that automatically helps heighten anxiety lower. And how do you get a barrow reflex? Now, now take your medication. Of course, Dr. Strauss can talk about with medication, but the best way, and it occurs very quickly, is to have a longer outbreath, a long exhalation. I call it the three by six breathing. And count while you're doing it. So I'll take a breath in, three seconds in, and then I'll nice and gently through my through my lips purse, I'll go three seconds in, six seconds out. And that three and six is not magic. Breathe in whatever's comfortable, breathe out double. A long exhalation, a long outbreath will produce a barrel reflex. And whatever level of anxiety you're having, it'll be reduced relatively quickly. We say take 10 breaths. So if you're breathing in three and out six, within 90 seconds, that's pretty quick. Within 90 seconds, you're going to get some relief. So basically a 90-second break may be all you need. And this is, is good advice, not only for our patients, but for all of us who are in on this call. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. One of the challenges, I believe, is that medical folks do not adequately know how to deal with emotional problems, especially when it is so intense and ongoing. It's a learning process for them. And we have, it's a mixture. We've become too close to using a medication. You're having anxiety, take Prozac, take Zoloft. There's a time and a place for it. I think that what Dr. Goldman just talked about is learning the simple little things that you can do when you have a minute or two or three to walk over to in a corner, maybe do it with somebody, maybe not. 
I think one of the other things that is very instrumental in the origin of a lot of this anxiety is fatigue. We need to learn to take care of ourselves in terms of fatigue. We need to learn not to be alone. So if we can learn those things which are more psychologically oriented than medically oriented, it can diffuse. It can mitigate a lot of things becoming worse. Jay can talk to this in greater detail. If someone is feeling an inner anxiety, it can fester. And when it festers, it can rot. And when it rots, it can explode and it can do all sorts of nasty things. So at the beginning, learning these little techniques. Jay, when people have more pressing or difficult or problematic anxiety, how do you go up a ladder? What would be the next thing to do other than the breathing exercises? There's hundreds of breathing exercises. A lot of people do yoga and a lot of people are into different types of mindfulness meditation, transcendental meditation. So when we say breathing, there's literally dozens and dozens of breathing exercises. So I just want to emphasize whatever, whichever one you choose, whichever one you might have been doing, they have a longer out breath. It's very, very important to do that. Don't hold your breath. Just extend your out breath, okay? That's important. And of course, the banner that really rides up on top of everything. It's resilience. It's resilience. And by definition, I can give you a one-word definition to resilience. Adapt. You have to be able to adapt. And in this case, we're adapting to, uh, for some of us, cabin fever or going star crazy because we're on lockdown. For some people, it's a silver lining because they do well living at home and not going out. Most people don't. Most people have lost their freedom and it really bothers them. And since you can't go out, can you bring out in? And we can because we have something called the internet. And without the internet, things would be very different. Humor is a very important part of the therapy for everybody. I don't care what the problem is. Humor is exceptionally important. So how do you find humor with this darn virus or with anything? I don't care if you have chronic pain, if there's tragedy in your life. How do you find humor? One way to literally find it is on the internet. The other day, I heard my wife laughing hysterically. I yelled out, what's so funny? She was actually watching a funny cat video. And if you tune into funny cat and dog videos, I defy you not to laugh. They're really, really quite funny. It's all right there. Go to YouTube. Just type in funny cat videos. So bringing humor in. Tuning into a comedian, there's about a thousand, more than a thousand comedy routines that you can also tune into. So humor is very, very important. There's a lot of data that shows bring humor into your life. And this is a perfect time to do it. Jay, the other day when we were talking, you brought up a very interesting issue. You were talking about you were working with a physician. And the implication was that there was a hesitancy to believe that these techniques really work. Yep. I also see that. And once they start seeing there is some success, they, they, they're converted, so to speak. They're converted. You have gone into an area of healing that is the power of the mind. And if you don't mind, I would like to tell people that you were a dentist and you worked with chronic pain. That was my specialty. And you began to see that the psychological techniques that a lot of people got better. And they may have been skeptical. They were all looking for a pill or some surgical intervention or a device. That is an interesting, again, conversion. Do you think that that is an obstacle for many of us in the medical field that we don't believe it? We don't, we don't pursue it. Your, your thoughts? Yeah. Part of what I did up there at Mount Sinai in New York is actually taught medical residents. And part of their education 
and including dental education as well in the dental residents, did not include any of this. It did not include energy psychology. It did not include anything holistic. Just to go back a little bit, I had a psychologist on my staff for 27 years. And when the things that we did for chronic pain, trigger point injections, medication, making bite plates, massage, I had a physical therapist on my staff, I had a nutritionist on my staff. When that stuff didn't work, we referred the patient to the psychologist. After 10 years, I called the psychologist into my office and he said, oh, I'm getting fired. I says, no, I'm getting fired. And of course, we had a laugh because it was my office. He said, how are you getting fired? I said, well, you remember how we do all these things and when they don't work, we refer the patient to you? He goes, yeah. I said, we're going to reverse that. You're going to see the chronic pain patient first. Do your magic, treat them, see what happens. And if that doesn't work, refer them back to me for the trigger point injections and the bite plate, the medication. And we did that for the next 17 years, and it was wonderful. We just had a paradigm shift. And the paradigm shift, of course, is chronic pain was always thought to be a physical problem with an underlying psychological problem. And in fact, it's the opposite. And there's a lot of data that lets us know that. It's just a matter of how many patients want to go to a psychologist first or to a therapist like me specializing in the emotional component of chronic pain. That same treatment, by the way, is what we do for the patient right now with the virus crisis who's suffering emotionally because of this crisis. We do the exact same thing. We, With a longer-term treatment, of course, we have our psychotherapies. For the person who really wants to feel better by tonight or by tomorrow and just to feel some kind of relief, especially a physician who maybe doesn't necessarily believe in or had the experience that some of this holistic stuff really works. So taking the discussion, we have people presenting with a variety of symptoms. We're focusing a bit on anxiety because there's a lot of that secondary to the uncertainty and fear pandemic that we're part of. How much of that reaction is normal? How much of it actually requires intervention? That's a great question because a lot of anxiety is produced by words and thought, not in this case, 100% normal to be concerned and to worry about this darn virus. People are separated from their families, friends, and they're isolated in so many ways. My daughter is a physician's assistant in the ER. She's going through is tremendous anxiety, which is real. It's founded in truth. So you need to present some ways. Uh, one way, of course, is create the barrel reflex of breathing. But you need some way that throughout the course of the day, you can feel better. You can adapt and you can, you can express and have that resiliency. This is a paradigm shift for so many physicians because we grow up thinking that anxiety is that there is an abnormality in the GABA system or the serotonin's off or something like that. That's not necessarily true. Look at it psychologically before they call me. That's right. And in, in terms of holistic measures, of course, Eastern medicine, holistic, zero evidence based zero RCT trials in case of holistic measures, which they're not really teaching. I taught in two medical schools. They're not teaching this stuff. Tapping, where you actually, it's acupressure in a tapping mechanism, where you're tapping on acupressure points. And you can do that. I timed it, actually. You can do that within 55 seconds to reduce the anxiety and it can reduce chronic pain in 55 seconds. And you can even tap a second time to reduce it even more if, if you need to. Professionals can use in their own life dealing with their anxiety as well as a recommendation for their patient. I heard on a webcast that I saw recently, there was a physician talking about when he was in his training, when he was a resident, that he was taught when his pager goes off, 
that there's a code. The first thing he was taught to do was take your pulse above 90. Do some of these exercises, get it down to 90, and then go to the code. Otherwise, your whole system's going to be dysregulated. We call that being flooded. And if you're flooded 90 or 100, you must do something to reduce that. And you need to do it right away. I'll repeat myself. The barrel reflex does that quickly. That is something called OED. And it looks like hocus pocus. I've seen it work. You can argue it's placebo. But the way I've done it, I've done it with patients where they didn't know what to expect. Oh, I want you to do this procedure. Just notice how your anxiety is reduced. I didn't set it up like that. Doing it with them and they go, oh my heavens, I feel so much better. OVC, over energy correction. So when someone has heightened anxiety, they need to be brought down to what we call the window of tolerance, where we all want to live our lives. When it's above, as in heightened anxiety or even a panic attack, we have to be down-regulated, OEC, over-energy correction. Very strange when you see it. It has to do with a body position. You put your hands and legs into a body position. You breathe a certain way. You're pressing on the roof of your mouth with your tongue. When I first saw it demonstrated, honestly, I said, I'm never going to do this with a patient. It's hocus-pocus. It's absurd until I saw it work. And it really does work. OEC. Get onto YouTube and watch it. Would a similar approach get a similar success by doing other simple things such as walking, running, or doing a meditative breathing exercise? Yes. There are so many different ways to ground yourself. What you just said, walking, or read a sentence. And this is kind of brings up a little more humor, of course. You open up a magazine or a newspaper, find some text, and read it backwards. Read the sentences backwards. It's funny. It absolutely puts a smile on your face, and it it has a very significant calming effect. I've noticed that as a group of physicians, and I don't know how to divvy it up in terms of percentages, there are those who will listen to you and say, that's neat. Let me try it. But there's a lot. Perhaps they are still skeptical, or perhaps they're embarrassed to admit that they need to go learn to do this. And when they are embarrassed, the the word fester comes back. It fester and it rots in them. And it, it doesn't always necessarily have to be with someone like you, a formal therapist. It can start by listening, going to the YouTubes, and maybe just talking to a friend. It doesn't have to be a formal psychotherapist, but not to be embarrassed that you need this type of help. We're all human. And I don't know that everybody remembers that. And I think what Dr. Sillinger said before about is some of this even normal. This virus has produced very rational beliefs, lots of fear, lots of even inconvenience, you know, lots of financial issues for most of us, me included. So how resilient, how do we adapt? And some homebodies are doing just fine in lockdown and others can't wait to the day that they can get back. It's abnormal not to have a anxiety type of reaction. Yeah, it's quite normal. It really is. And maybe people, maybe normalizing it for some is very important so they don't have to have that worry or embarrassment. Like Dr. Shaw said, instead of being embarrassed, they can realize they're in the same boat as all of us. We all have concern. We all have some degree of worry. How could you not? Pursue this a little bit more because it's fascinating. So there's the difference of a low-level generalized anxiety. Then we go up to an anxiety attack, and and some of the differences are academic, but they go up to an anxiety attack, and then we go up to a panic attack, and they're different intensities. How can you use your techniques for the more intense, immobilizing anxiety? That's a great question. The techniques are all the same. They're all the same. 
bringing somebody down from an actual panic attack where some feel as though they're having a heart attack. They even have pain going down their left arm. Very, very common visit to the emergency room and nobody. And sometimes I need to say this to my patients that you're so frightened now because you can't breathe, you're suffocating, or you have, think you're having a heart attack. Nobody ever ever has had a heart attack while having a panic attack, thinking that they're having a heart attack. And not one person has suffocated because they feel they're suffocating and can't breathe and they're going to die from it. And sometimes you need that bit of information. It has a very calming effect for most. What about the person who comes into you and says they're having episodic various levels of anxiety, but the real thing that's bothering them is that the crisis is not over and they're anticipating, they're catastrophizing. Today is bad, tomorrow's bad, the next day is bad. Yeah. How do you integrate your techniques and if your approach to anxiety? I refer them to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but see, but that's, that's what, again, such a good point because we do need to, we get to see your dog in the background. Very nice. <laughs> Okay. We do need to delineate yeah. that which is the normal, as Dr. Schillinger said, the normal reaction to all this, and as it escalates, may also reflect, which a lot of people do not want to always accept, an undercurrent of some other pathology in them yes. that yeah. also needs attention that maybe they've been able to cover up. Yeah. I've also learned that the expression, and then what? And then what? It's very, very important for these folks. You're speaking now, you're kind of traversing away from the, the virus crisis that we have right now. But try to teach these people, it's words, it's thoughts. And the thought really doesn't mean a darn thing unless you attach an emotion to it. Once you would attach an emotion to it, of course, you're off to the races with to some terrible anxiety at whatever level. So you say, well, what are you afraid of? What could happen? And they might tell you, this is Socratic reasoning, by the way. Socratic reasoning, tell you what might happen and then what might happen. And then what might happen. And then what might happen? So eventually they start to realize that the consequence of their anxiety is really going no place. It's going no place. It's a lot of worry. It's a physical manifestation along with that worry. It's a lot of discomfort. But once they sit and they start to really think about the words, the vocabulary that they've attached to this anxiety, if they can really do that, of course, they need my help to do that. This is not how you're going to feel better by tomorrow necessarily. Before we started this, Dr. Schillinger gave us a very brief representative of two articles, and one of them talked about people should not feel guilty if they don't do something fantastic during this. They don't redefine their life. They don't get stronger. Maybe that's asking too much of what a person needs. They just need help getting through it, not redoing themselves, not converting themselves to something else. Again, the subtle levels, but someone could feel, well, I'm, I'm, I must not be good. I can't do these techniques. I must not be good. I need, I need a, a Xanax. We'll give you a little background on that term now that's floating around on the internet, motivational pressure during a quarantine. And this stems from something that's been circulating around, I believe, on Facebook. Some of you may have seen it. There's a message out there. It's supposed to be motivational. It says, if you don't come out of this quarantine with either one, a new skill, two, starting something that you've been putting off, like a new business, or number three, more knowledge. If you don't come out of this quarantine with one of those three things, then the consequence or the conclusion is you didn't ever lack time in the first place. You just lacked the discipline. This has been floating around on various social media. Is, is this a logical direction to go? I mean, supposedly many people do have more time on their hands. Should yeah. these expectations be placed on individuals? You know, you're really talking about actualized 
It's people who can do. They can think about what they want in their life and they can do it. For example, I've had many patients who say, you know, I really want to learn Chinese. I really want to learn to speak Italian. For some, this is a perfect time to do the things that you wanted to do because maybe that's the silver lining inside this crisis. You have the time. I have a patient, believe it or not, she ordered a guitar from Amazon. They delivered the guitar in two days and she's now taking lessons the lessons are free. And there's a program, it's called Guitar Tricks. You get free guitar lessons. You can certainly, in this case, do a lot of those things that you wanted to do. You can take art classes. You can take music classes, learn how to play the guitar, learn languages. I find that what I need to do in times like this, and sometimes I even ask my patients for permission, I take off my therapy hat, I become a life coach. And I can't say all the things a life coach would say. So I I get permission. Can I be in your face a little bit? They say, yes, of course. And I turn myself into a life coach. And I give them an awful lot of advice on what you can do with all the time that we have. If you want, call it a silver lining. But we all have extra time. I don't know of anybody right now that doesn't have more time than we had before. Now, according to that article, if you can do those things now, given this crisis, and now the crisis is over, have you learned anything? Have you grown, right? What is is that other article about post-traumatic growth? Can you pull something positive out of this? Maybe that takes a strong person, or maybe it just takes anybody, really, but somebody behind them pushing a little bit. As a life coach, I push plenty. Which brings us to that other article, the concept of post-traumatic growth, something I really hadn't heard about. We all are very familiar with PTSD, but apparently there's also PTG, which says that when you go through a traumatic situation, clearly are in the midst of right now with no particular end in sight, that there is a potential for growth. Again, finding new opportunities, maybe developing closer relationships, even though we're physically separate, it's still an opportunity to bond closer with fellow human beings. Is there a way that we can advise our patients and advise our colleagues and ourselves how we can convert the energy more from post-traumatic distress, PTSD, to a post-traumatic growth phase? You know, one of the greatest things we can do, and I so true, there's so many studies. There was a Zoloft study where they compared Zoloft and exercise. Bottom line is the exercise beat out Zoloft. And I remember when I was younger, there was this fellow, Jack LaLanne. And Jack LaLanne said, you can get all the exercise you need in your kitchen. And all you need is a kitchen chair and a little bit of a space. He had a weekly program and he showed us all how you can exercise with a chair inside your kitchen. And of course, there's so many other programs out there, Zumba, and I mean, you can tune in again. YouTube is unbelievable. So exercise, exercise is huge part of the menu. I don't think I've had a patient that I've treated for depression that I did not try and emphasize exercise. Of course, when you're depressed, it's hard to motivate, but you have to. You have to get yourself to exercise and to move. Besides breathing, that's another thing that can help you very quickly. And it's easy to do, and it's very not intrusive because if you're working in the emergency room and it's been a horrible day and you're exhausted and you're just burnt out and you're scared and you don't know what's going to be, to on a routine manner take a break. Now, what I find interesting, though I don't recommend it, obviously, the number of people who would take a break to have a cigarette. Well, what are they doing? They're taking a break. They're giving themselves a little dopamine. They're getting a little oral satisfaction, sounding very psychodynamic here. 
but they're taking a break to calm down. People yeah. do it. They'll say, oh, I got to do this. Hold on. I just need a swig of whiskey. They're taking a break to calm down. So we already have those mechanisms built into our society and they're accepted. And they, obviously, I don't want anybody to go have a drink or go have a cigarette. But it's the notion of getting away for a minute and letting things cool down. It's, it's necessary. It's necessary. It takes practice to do it, though. Creating that space, again, lots of literature on this, lots of data on this, especially if you're flooded and you need it. By the way, if you find yourself flooded and you have that heart rate up around 90 to 100, you really need to find some space for a minimum of 20 minutes. And you can do breathing, listen to some music. I mean, we didn't even discuss music. Oh, my. There's so much that can be done to alleviate anxiety quickly. quickly. What about the patient who comes to you and say, hey, doc, that really works I'm doing the, the breathing exercises, the tapping exercises, or whatever. But you know, it only takes the anxiety away for half, half an hour, an hour, two hours. Can you make the anxiety go away? How do you deal with that larger question that you're really not fixing the problem per se, but you, you're giving necessary interventions? And you know, a lot of people, they come to me, you got to get rid of the anxiety. I can't. It's, it's real. I would love to. But doc, I can't live like this. I can't live like this. Well, we need to learn how to live like this. Yeah. That's the hard part for many people. I've learned a lot from my patients. And this is the next thing I'm going to say. I've learned from a number of patients, actually. And one of the things that they do is look at albums, look at picture albums. Some cases, the albums are the old-fashioned albums. Other times, we're all on the internet. We're all in photos. And we have ways of getting those photos. Well, it doesn't matter really what form you're looking at. Going back in time, looking at your kids when they were little, looking at yourself at a vacation that you really enjoyed. I think everybody today has got a collection of photos. Reaching out for those is a wonderful way to get away. A it's bit. soothing. It, it, it's a very nice yeah. soothing quality to it. I always ask people, because I, I don't do the tapping and the breathing exercises, though I probably should do more of them with my patients. I say, well, what do you do to relax? Do you, do you go home and watch movies that you've never seen? Do you want to learn to understand why Fred Astaire was such a magnificent dancer? Whatever. A lot of people don't know how to do those things for themselves. It's a complete change in their lifestyle. So it complicates things just simple suggestions, and they are simple things to do. It's just a little tricky, getting our patients to follow them, getting ourselves to follow them. I heard one doctor say one of the things you could do is sit down and make up a list of the things that keep you strong, things that keep you going, but not just make that list. Then you need to, down a little bit later, check off or write in when's the last time you did any of those things. Nice to know that the music is going to help. It's nice to know that the tapping is going to help, exercise is going to help. The next level is asking yourself or having your patients ask themselves, when's the last time you actually followed through? Well, when I was a little boy, we used to play a game if we were in the car, a long drive. We used to drive from New York down to Florida. And my sister and I would play a game of naming the states. You had to name a state that started with the letter of the last as Arkansas ends with an S. You had to say a state that starts with an S and so forth. And that was a lot of fun. So I actually found that I do some of those things. If somebody's in my office, they need to be grounded right away. So we have the breathing. We have the things I've mentioned. Believe it or not, I've had patients stand up 
start jumping. This is an old remedy. When I read about this, I thought it even made me laugh while I was reading about it. And I'll get up with them, actually get up and start jumping up and down, up and down. And within 10 seconds, they're laughing from needing to be grounded, from feeling like crap, <laughs> and then jumping up and down. It just gives an immediate rush. But playing those games, name every kind of dog you can name or looking around in the room and tell me how many things are red. Their mind is completely distracted. Distraction is very important in these cases. Then there's mindfulness. Mindfulness is very different. Tell us. It's being, mindfulness is being present with whatever is. Being present non-judgmentally. You're not distracting yourself from what's going on. Exactly the opposite. You're getting into it. If you feel sad, if you feel anxious, even if you feel joy, you feel happiness, whatever's there, you want to be with it. That's the whole basis. By the way, when I'm talking about mindfulness, four functional MRIs, and this is from 2004, it's not even new anymore, four fMRIs showing before and after, and the nine areas in the brain with neuroplastic changes that take place with mindfulness. I ask my patients to do mindfulness breathing, to sit and focus on your breath for five minutes just five minutes. Of course, I ask them to do that three times a day, every day, three times a day, forever. Don't ever stop doing it. That gives them the ability using the breath as an anchor. They focus on your breath. Mind's going to wander. You're going to be thinking, did I pay my taxes? What's happening with this virus? What's my schedule for tomorrow? What's going on with my family? It was far away. Your mind's going to wander. So just acknowledge that your mind's wandering and bring it right back to the breath. And developing the ability to do that is unbelievable. Nine areas of the brain, including the prefrontal cortex, including the periaqueductal gray where chronic pain is coming from, including the amygdala that houses a lot of anxiety and houses unresolved emotional pain. As a therapist, I do a lot of EMDR, and the EMDR also being seen now in PET scans and functional MRIs, and it works between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. For those of you who are interested in a little bit of neuroanatomy, and you can get that very quickly. Use your breath, focus on your breath, and whatever's there, if you're anxious, focus on the anxiety. Can you imagine that? Focus on the anxiety. Be with whatever's there in your life. And that by definition, mindfulness is be present with whatever is, non-judgmental. It almost sounds counterintuitive. Yes, yes, it is. You, you doc, you're going to make me do what? Now, I've been practicing mindfulness for nine years, and I've done it with an awful lot of patients. It is counterintuitive, but it works. When you look up some of the functional MRIs, and you see what part of the brain it's working at and how the neuroplastic changes are actually happening. And it happens right away. It happens within 24 hours. You get the changes inside the brain. Doctors like to know that there's double blind scientific studies, evidence base. In our current pandemic, there's a lot of concern about keeping the immune system at its highest functioning level. When it comes to these various techniques, what do we know about hard science that shows a relationship between that and immune status. One of the things done in clinical studies is to measure the C-reactive protein. And when someone is depressed or anxious, it's elevated. And I'm being very simplistic, but this is what it is. And then after they're having successful treatment with the antidepressant or whatever, the C-reactive proteins go down, which means that's a marker of inflammation. Yeah. There is a whole area. It's not funded enough. It's called psychoimmunology, and it's the interaction between the immunologic and the psychological systems. We know it. We've known this for years. We've just not yet had direct tools to deal with it, and I don't really see anything 
happening that eminently, but that's where the future lies, is understanding the interaction between the immunologic system and our psychiatric system. Not exclusively. Sometimes if you're in a bad marriage, you're in a bad marriage. And that's just what it is. We do need to look at the fact that these are not hocus-pocus, to use the words that you use, Jay. There is a downstream real biological effect to these. I've often wondered if in emergency rooms, especially now, I know there's no space to do this, but they should take one room and call it the mindfulness room. And you go in there, it's quiet, it's soft, you got a place to sit, and you can spend five minutes, 10 minutes chilling down and restoring yourself. Interesting you say that because I introduced this to my daughter's school up in New York. I tried to do it here, it didn't work. Brent, yeah, we were talking about a proposal for the schools, but I mentioned it to my daughter, mindfulness. They now have a time in room, not time out, time in for anybody who wants to go into some mindfulness breathing. Let me tell you, speaking of immunologic changes, the DNA molecule does not unravel because there's a molecule on top, a little cap called a telomere. And they've shown that after mindfulness, the tel well, let me back up, with heavy stress, heavy stress, depression and anxiety, the telomere comes off, it falls off. But with mindfulness, the telomere elongates. Can you imagine that? And it increases the integrity of the DNA molecule. Mindfulness is tremendous. And another thing, which is so important, and it's a very quick remedy, reduces anxiety beautifully, is make a list. I ask my patients just five things, write down on a piece of paper right now, five things that they're grateful for. Now, once they do that, I then want them to close their eyes and one at a time for all five, image it. Get a picture in your mind of those five things that you wrote down. There's five words. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm grateful for my dog. I'm grateful for my the lawn. My green lawn is plush. I'm grateful for my health. Whatever it is, and then close your eyes and image what you're grateful for. And that relieves anxiety. It lifts depression to some you know, significant degree. At that moment, I mean, that's not the treatment, no, it's certainly not long-term, but it clearly is a very short-term intervention that works beautifully. So we have a couple of questions coming through on the chat, and I encourage all of you who are part of the program here tonight to participate. We'd like to hear how you are doing. From Dr. Navarro, she wants to know, what about the fact that patients are glued to their electronic devices, flooding their eyes with light, which is proven to decrease melatonin, leading to more sleeplessness, which, which is proven to decrease melatonin? It's a simply correct. My friends who are sleep doctors note that we are disrupting the normal sleep cycle by having bright light into our eyes in the middle of the night when we check our emails, like who cares if you got an email at two o'clock in the morning or leaving the television on all night. And a lot of people will say that they can't sleep because they, they can't sleep in quiet. That's a very interesting thing that someone should have that much discomfort. You have to ask why they can't sleep in a dark, quiet room. Maybe it would be better for them just to have the audio part low volume or some music. The internet is full of websites now that give you sound of rain or storm or waves to try to soothe you and go to sleep like that. But the electronic, it's not natural. Our bodies are not designed for that. The light is correct. It is throwing the melatonin levels off. And melatonin is intimately related to serotonin. And serotonin is intimately connected to anxiety, chronic pain, obsessiveness, worrying, depression. 
it's all interwoven. And I wish that we could somehow turn the TV sets off. So how important is a good night's sleep for our psychological balance and for our immune system to be functioning at its best? Critical. It's like keeping hydrated or getting proper vitamin nutrition or proper exercise. It just is. And to follow your thought, one of the things that is so destructive is breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. It's enough already. Alert. (laughs) Hmm? Yeah. And part of it psychologically is manifested because there are two, three, four TV networks, and they're all telling you the same thing. Oh, the virus is not here. Oh, this is safe, or we'll be fine. And there's no sense of continuity, and there's no sense of the media helping to soothe things, even in a very bad time. I, I, I may have said this previously, and I don't want to waste too much time on it, but I had the good fortune in my life of meeting Walter Cronkite. I was invited to go and watch them prepare to do the CBS Evening News. I got to meet him, watch them go through the editorial panels and actually into the studio, which was interesting because it was live. We were told we make no noises. (laughs) We make no noises. But what I watched is that in the preparation, one of the reporters said that they had a story and Mr. Cronkite read it. He said, doesn't seem vetted enough. I, 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 I'm, something's missing here. Let's get some more information. And the reporter said, well, my friend at NBC says that they're going to run it tonight. And Mr. Cronkite said, then let NBC be wrong. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. And that's sort of, that's journalism that it's not every journalist is bad. I don't want to imply that, but we need to get away from this constant barrage of the breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. It's got to slow up. You know, that makes people very anxious. And ties in very big here with the whole COVID pandemic. Piece of advice I've read repeatedly that's good for physicians as well as our patients is only watch the news or tune into the news or check it on your computer or your phone for 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening. The rest of the day is probably nothing that important that's going to happen. But how many of us follow that advice? Not enough. Not enough. I had one obsessive patient tell me that she has to watch it because what if she misses something important? And I said, you'll, you'll know in a couple hours. It's, they're going to say something important. Let's give it some time to test it. She worked herself up into that and her anxiety was out of control. But that's the way she was in life. And we have to remember that our physician friends, our, ourselves as well, we bring a whole package of psychological characteristics and domains into this. And we need to take a look at ourselves sometimes slowly, not vindictively, not in the situation like you said earlier that you're going to fail motivational crisis intervention, but slowly, carefully looking at who we are and as best as we can try to understand why we're responding the way we are. It's an important piece of this. What Dr. Goldman said, it's totally valid, but I don't, I, I, I'm now speaking for you, Jay. If I'm incorrect, please correct me. Someone doesn't come into your office and in three minutes you're doing breathing exercises. You have to get to know the person a little bit before you do this. It's just not going and taking, it happens to me every day. People say, I can't sleep. I need Clonopin. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What else is going on? What else is going on? And I'll tell you something else that's pretty important is gut health. I don't want to take this presentation in the wrong direction, but everything is not just from the brain down. It's also from the bottom going up. And gut health with either probiotics and prebiotics, very, very important. 
I recently read an article in the, the Annals of Gastroenterology talking about, it was called Our Second Brain. We call it the enteric brain. <laughs> right. That's something else folks can do. Very simple, yes. very easy. It'll make a big difference in their mental health. It's also critically important in trying to ride the anxiety and other feelings from the COVID pandemic. We talk about breathing properly, taking a break, sleeping properly. So clearly eating properly is important. We do have a new message. Okay, the worst part is that patients are sitting at home eating crap, quote unquote, no fresh vegetables, eating a lot of canned food, nitrate foods. This is wrecking biome. Again, yes. We have a question on mute you and... Thank you, Don Devonso, Internal Medicine. Thank you, Brian, Abby, and Jay. First, I'd like to say I love the tools that you're talking about, and I've been fortunate enough in my life to implement those tools on a daily basis, breathing the meditation. But I can tell you what's happening to me working as an internist right now that I'm really struggling with, which is trying to affect change in this crisis, meaning getting testing for my patients to the point where I've spent days and hours trying to coordinate efforts in different states with different professionals, then just getting so frustrated and realizing I should be doing something, but it's ineffective and trying to find a balance there. Any suggestions? Jay said it. It's gratitude, just gratitude for yourself. You are trying. Can never take that away from you. I don't know what phrase, you're swimming against the current or whatever. It's hard right now, but you're trying. And I think patients will most of the time pick up on what you are trying to do. And I know that because medicine in your field, you have to see people in what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? It's incredible. I applaud you for at least trying. This is what I'm trying to say. The important part to there, which I've seen this message repeatedly, is we can't beat ourselves up. As physicians, we tend to be perfectionists. We want to do everything right. We want to do the best possible compassionate thing for our patients. Sometimes we come up against a wall and we can't go any further and we can't go home and beat ourselves up over that. That's, that's very important. I'd like to say another thing about that and address that. This virus and how we're all living right now is not the new normal. This will go away. The virus crisis will not last. We're now they're talking about how they can gradually bring back the economy in a phase-oriented way. But the point is, we're going to be back. Of course, we want to be back tomorrow. You have patients who are ill. I have patients that some of them are not doing teletherapy and they're now free float. Everybody needs some help right now. I wouldn't call it a silver lining, but to be a little bit optimistic, this crisis will be over. Megan, and if this button unmutes it. Unmuted. Go ahead, Megan. Can you hear me? Absolutely. So I was outspoken the last meeting we had because I invited, I'm sorry, I'm an administrator for Dr. Robert Friedman in neurology and pain management. Last meeting we had was so instrumental to my staff because I told them they all have to join in or else. And I address questions for them, whatever. So for today's meeting, I went in, planned on attending this meeting with the hopes of things are starting to level out. People are more acceptive. And how, speaking about staff, medical professionals, I went into this meeting thinking instead of asking you guys to reach out to help my employees implement the new telehealth and they all have new roles, but now it's more laugh so you don't cry. And this webinar started out with that, how we have to bring humor into this and it's a tool 
And so I take it upon myself on when I find a chance to send funny memes to all my staff members. And today we had another virtual meeting, just all of us. When we got off the phone, I said, you know what? I sent them all a text. And, and I even thought it was so funny that I posted it on Facebook. But I said, I've decided to reach out to Netflix for the opportunity to do a documentary on our office. It will be entitled Implementing Telehealth During the COV-19 Pandemic. <laughs> Trust me, it will be as good as the Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> I just send them funny memes and, and I think laugh so you don't cry and humor is so important. Another one was 2020 is a unique leap year. It has 29 days in February, 300 days in March, and five years in April. Humor, for me especially, sharing that all with them, my staff, my physicians, my nurse practitioners, my, my acupuncturists that we can't even utilize, some of my other providers that we can't even utilize right now, is even though we're all stressed, anxiety, depression, including myself, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're going to get through this, and we're going to laugh together. And that's how this meeting started out. And that was my intention of joining this meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I wanted to share that. But it started out as this perspective. And I am so glad I attended. I want to focus on that for everybody listening and Dr. Goldman and everybody else. You guys have impressed on us. And I feel like I, what is it called? ESPN or ESP? <laughs> but thank you guys every, for everything. And just laugh so you don't cry. And have you heard from Netflix back yet? No, not yet. I just posted that on Facebook about two hours ago after our last staff meeting. So if I do hear back from Netflix and we do get that documentary started, I'll make sure I share it with everyone, especially my dear Tina at the Medical Society and everybody else in this group right now. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated. Please do. We'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. So we're just about at the end of the hour, maybe a little bit over even. Uh, any, any closing comments, Jay? It's a dark tunnel, yes, but there's a light at the end. I feel it. I see it. It brings me optimism. And I know it best we can and adapt, be resilient. Get help if you need help. And Abby? I parallel what Jay said and what Megan said and what Dawn said and everybody else. We are real people in a real crisis. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will succeed. There's no question about it. We'll face the challenge and we will succeed. And, and just the fact that even there's a sense of humor about this being turned into a Netflix thing, it's just, it just gives me a chuckle. Yeah. And that's it's just nice. That's just nice. So and I, I wish everybody well. I just wish everybody well. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. We will have a recording of this on the Medical Society website. We expect to be back in another week or two with some more COVID conversations on behavioral health. Great rest of the evening and we'll see you soon.